0: Today, we're going to explore the third D, deep connection. What we're talking about here is building and maintaining and deepening a secure attachment and the importance of building this bond with your children and nurturing it throughout your child's life. This is honestly the most important job of any parent. It is the most important thing to get right and to be focused on and to be tweaking and throwing all of your energy towards when you feel like it's not working for you and your child. So what is a securely attached child? What is a deeply connected child? Basically, simply put, this is a child who trusts that their needs will be met by their parent in a nurturing manner. So why is this so important, you might wonder? Why is this the number one most important job of any parent, as I just said? Well, listen to this. This is from Dr. Laura Markham. She is a uh, psychologist and she created aha parenting website and she also has authored many really great books on parenting listen to what she says decades of research including longitudinal studies shows that as securely attached children get older they form better relationships with others have higher self-esteem and are more flexible and resilient under stress and perform better in every aspect of life from schoolwork to peer interactions I mean, is that not impressive? And this is a course based on lots of studies and research. I'm not going to go into all that today. I am going to share about one particular study that I think is really interesting and easy to kind of understand. But if you are interested in research and what it says about secure attachment, just jump on the Internet. There's so much information there to find out about this importance. I also love this quote, and I promise I'm not going to be quoting the whole entire podcast today, but Pam Leo, who wrote one of my very first books that I read when I was doing my parent coach certification, she wrote the book Connection Parenting, and she said the following, let's raise children who won't have to recover from their childhood. And whenever I've misstepped, whenever I feel like I've just not been having the right approach with my kids, something in my gut feels wrong, my parenting instinct kicks in and I'm like, "Mm, I'm not approaching it the right way. Or I've been really distracted in my own life or letting the stress of life get the better of me. I'm not parenting my children to the best of my ability or with the intentions I've set for myself. I always think about that quote, let's raise children who won't have to recover from their childhood. That's so powerful for me. And I think more than anything else, creating a secure, bond, a deep connection, a secure attachment with your child is what is going to be the most powerful in meeting this goal of raising a child who won't have to recover from their childhood. So let's get this right. And I'm going to help you do so and figure out how to do this and how to continue to strengthen this strong, deep connection with your child throughout their childhood. It's not something that we just think about with their infants or in the first several years of life. This is lifelong. So the study that I said that I was going to refer to, this is really interesting. And you may have explored this in a psychology class that you took um, in the past. It was researched from developmental psychologist, Mary Ainsworth, and was conducted in the 70s to observe attachment relationships between a caregiver, a parent, and their child. Most of the test subjects were at about the year mark, somewhere a little under a year and up to 18 months of age. And the study was called a strange situation. And if you're interested in this and learn more, you can actually Google, I think on YouTube, there's tons of videos of this actual experiment. So look up strange situation if you want to see how it was actually conducted. But basically it was a parent, a mom, and their one-year-old infant who went into a room that they were unfamiliar with that had just a chair. Actually, I think it was two chairs and then a bunch of toys. And the parent and child kind of went into this room. The parent sat down and didn't necessarily engage with the child, kind of just let them freely explore and play with the toys. And then about, I can't remember the time frame, but a few minutes into this, a stranger walked in. And this actually was uh, the psychologist conducting the experiment. But the stranger walked in, kind of conversed with the parent quickly, and then sat down. And they observed kind of what the infant did when the stranger entered the room. And then after a couple minutes of the stranger kind of sitting in a chair, the parent conspicuously exited the room. And then they observed what did the infant do when the parent left. And then after a short period of time, the parent re-entered. And again, they observed what did the infant do when the mom re-entered the room. And then after a period of time, the mom left again. And they observed the second absence and what the baby did during the second absence. And then they did the second reunion and the parents came back in the room. And um, again, what they were observing was what the baby did when the stranger entered, what the baby did after each of these separations and after each of the reunions. And they were observing what the baby is doing in terms of exploring and engaging with toys and their reactions to all of those different situations that they were put into. And based on their observations, and gosh, they ran this experiment like I don't know, thousands of times, and they were able to kind of determine kind of some predictive outcomes or predictive behaviors exhibited by these babies. And based on that, they divided them into three separate categories. The first was secure, the second was resistant slash ambivalent, and the third was avoidant. So the secure category, these babies, they cried when their mother left, but then they were also easily comforted by the mother when they returned. What they observed was that this group, as they kind of have followed this group throughout their lifespan, now these babies are in their mid-40s, they've been able to determine that these babies have better relationships or have had better relationships with their parents lifelong, and were generally more well-adjusted in every way in their lives. Relationships, work, peer relationships, and so on. The second group, the resistant ambivalent group. These babies protested when their mothers left, but when the mother re-entered, they rejected the comfort. They pushed the mothers away, or they wouldn't even make eye contact with them. And what they were able to determine is that this group, their behavior was basically communicating that they could not always depend on their parent consistently meet their needs. And this group kind of grew into adults who were always seeking reassurance in their relationships and were also kind of needy and unfulfilled and always seeking attachments. When there were children, rather than seeking this relationship with their parents, they were seeking attachments at a peer level, becoming more peer attached than adult parent caregiver attached. And then the third group, this is the avoidant group. These babies did not protest age appropriately when their parents departed. And they didn't seek reassurance either when the parent returned. It was kind of like, okay, whatever, you know. It didn't really phase them to be left, and it didn't really require that they needed to be comforted when the parent returned. These babies didn't show, like I said, they didn't show age-appropriate comfort needs. They just basically assumed that they would not be met, so they had learned kind of not to depend on their parent. These babies often kind of appeared independent, more mature than their peers, but they turned it out to be the most needy and demanding of all children. They repressed their emotions. They kind of numbed themselves from these emotions. And lifelong, this group kind of grew into a subcategory that struggled the most with intimacy as older children and adults and had the most trouble in general in terms of creating a well-adjusted life. So that experiment is really interesting to me when I was learning about this, because I thought back to my children and how I kind of imagined they would have reacted at different ages and stages. I certainly did not have any avoidant subcategory, but I do think that there were a couple of my kids when they were babies that might've kind of done the resistant ambivalent style where they protested for sure. But when I came back, they might've kind of been mad or angry, maybe even a little bit of aggressive, um, kind of showing me I really didn't like that, um, as opposed to just easily falling into being comforted. So think kind of back if your children are at infant level, if your children are older, kind of think back and explore, oh, what did that look like? The thing that I love about learning about attachment theory, which is the science of relationships, this is that deep connection, is understanding that you know, kind of having this little kind of check-in with your gut in terms of where you are right now with your children in terms of your attachment, it doesn't mean like, oh, I blew it. My child was resistant, ambivalent as an infant. My child was the avoidant type. I blew it. Okay, my child is no longer going to have a great outcome in their life. That's just not true. Becoming aware of this is so important because there is so much that you can do to strengthen the connection with your child, to continue to help that attachment grow and blossom. It's not like, oh, you blew it. You can't ever recover from this. But becoming aware can be so helpful and informative in terms of what you're going to do with your parenting going forward once you become aware of this. So how can you assure that your child is going to develop a secure attachment? Well, we've already talked about decoding behaviors and looking at those as cues and communication about what your child's underlying needs are. Remember, the next thing you were supposed to do was respond to those needs. So if you get in the habit, like we talked about in the last episode of decoding behaviors and responding to the underlying needs versus just trying to control those behaviors, you're already one step in trying to make this happen, that builds trust and helps with bonding and attachment. So just trust that. Another one of my favorites in the psychology world is Dr. Dan Siegel. Many of you may be familiar with his work. He's written tons of books. My favorite is probably The Whole Brain Child. And he is a clinical psychiatrist at the UCLA School of Medicine. So he states that the key to a secure attachment with your child is ensuring that they feel the four S's, safe, secure, seen, and soothed. So think about that as well. Safe, secure, seen, and soothed. There's so many different ways of looking at attachment and how it's developing and the strength and how you could be meeting your child's needs in terms of this deep connection. My probably all-time favorite, though, I shared about the work that has been such an influence for me in terms of my parenting and my parent coaching work, and that is the work of Dr. Gordon Neufeld. He has taken this attachment theory that many people have studied and expanded upon. It's nothing new, it's been around for a long time. But now he has taken this theory of how attachment, how bonding, how connection kind of forms during the first six years of life, for a child, or I'd also add the first six years since a child has entered the home, either through birth or adoption or fostering. And he's looked at this and broken it down into six stages of attachment. According to his studies, he's determined that these stages of attachment develop over six years at approximately a year at a time. And I'm going to dive deeper now into the six stages of attachment, but I also encourage you to kind of Google this, look this up on YouTube. I'll put a link in my show notes so that you can hear from Gordon Neufeld himself, a description of each of these stages of attachment. I've been studying this for years and years and years and constantly return to it. It constantly informs my parenting and the suggestions I'm making to the parent coach clients I work with in my private practice. So first stage of attachment, he describes as proximity. This is attaching through the senses. Think about an infant or a young child and their need and desire to be held, close, carried, cuddled. Think about how an infant bonds through the senses, through eye contact. This is the most base level of connection. And so this is an area where children... Even though they grow out of infancy in this most basic level of attachment, you still are attaching at this level constantly, and they don't grow out of the need for this close proximity. The second year of life, children attach at the sameness level, according to Dr. Neufeld. So sameness, think about toddler, young child copying the behaviors of their parents and their close caregivers. I remember back when my um, children were about a year of age, carrying around a purse like I did, putting on lotion like I did, even without actual real lotion, just kind of mimicking those behaviors. I hate to admit it, but carrying around a little phone and pretending to be talking on the phone. I was like, oh, my kids observe that a lot. That's really cute that they're connecting at that level, but oh, check-in, they're observing a lot of mommy on a phone. Also, this is where children develop language is by connecting up sameness level. It's so fascinating to me to learn about children who have uh, the ability to hear, being raised by two parents who are deaf, and how they pick up sign language as their first language. Why? Because they're connecting through this sameness level. They're mimicking the behaviors. Even though they have the capacity to hear and hear speech around them, they connect first with their primary attachments, their primary caregivers, and they learn sign language as their primary language because it's connected through the sameness level. The third stage, belonging and loyalty. So here, Children develop a sense of almost possessiveness over their parents. This is what you see a lot of my mommy can even relate to them connecting to my things. This is kind of like the height, this third year of life of mine, and so on. A lot of times, this kind of falls into the timeline of when a second child may have entered a home, and you see this kind of spike in these jealousy needs. But even more so, This loyalty piece is about a child connecting to being on the same side as their parents, showing this fierce loyalty, our side, our team, we're in this together. It's really important that a child connects with being on the same side as their parent, This is also when there's a lot of testing going on in terms of child development, and a child's doing a lot of testing boundaries, testing limits, testing structures and rules that you may have set up at home. They're checking in to say like, oh, okay, what are you going to do when I do this? And if you are approaching things from this kind of connection-based parenting in terms of your discipline, and the child doesn't think I'm against my parent, but We're on the same side. They're supporting and helping me learn kind of the rules as opposed to enforcing things through punishments where they kind of start to develop, oh, we're in opposition, we're against each other. I promise, promise, promise. Mm -hmm. Our next segment is gonna be delving into discipline and what to do instead of these rewards and punishments and timeouts. But this is kind of where that kind of creeps in, especially is how you're handling when your child steps out of line, when your child tests boundaries and breaks rules Rules. How you handle that really kind of can reinforce that belonging and loyalty stage. The fourth stage of attachment, according to Dr. Newfeld, is what he labels significance. So in the fourth year of life, a child desires to feel unconditionally loved and accepted for who they are. They want to feel seen. They want to be able to express who they are, feel like there's anything wrong with that. This is where you have to kind of check yourself as a parent and really come to accept, okay, this is the child that I have. And it may not really match up with the child that you had envisioned for yourself. You need to really make peace of that and have your child know deep down that who they are is great. This is who they are and you see them and who they are is significant and embraced. And it's really important that a child hears a lot of messaging where they feel unconditionally loved and accepted. This will really translate into kind of the building box of self-esteem. The fifth stage is love, or you could also say emotion. When children can really connect an emotional level, the fifth year of life, what happens between age four and five There's actually this tremendous burst in brain development in the limbic system, and that is your child's capacity to understand and feel things on a very deep emotional level in a way they hadn't previously been able to. Now, very young children might say, I love you. They're saying that, not to say that they don't have capacity of feeling these warm feelings, but a lot of that is kind of mimicking that sameness level, that connecting, kind of mimicking back mimicking back what we say to them. So when we say, I love you, and they say, I love you back, they're mimicking, they're connecting. When a child is between ages four and five, and they've kind of reached the stage of attachment, they are feeling true, deep-seated emotional love. You'll see this because it's not as a mimicking, I love you, mimicking what we say to them, they'll actually initiate. They'll start drawing hearts. They'll start giving you love letters. Sometimes little children at this age will say, I want to marry you, mommy. I want to marry you, dad. When I grow up, they have fallen in love with you on a deeper emotional level than they have been able to be capable of before now. This is the birth of true emotional intimacy for your child in this vulnerability, this ability to actually give their heart their love to their parent their caregiver blossoms from this place from this stage and then the sixth stage of attachment according to Newfeld is a stage he labels being known this is the goal this is where you want to be by about the sixth year of life or the sixth year of your child coming home children at this stage they're choosing their parents as their kind of secret keepers They don't want anything to get in the way of their relationship with their parent. So they're willing to tell you their mistakes, their, you know, confess their lies, things that they did wrong. I stole this. I'm sorry. I felt, you know, I did this thing and they want to be able to tell you those things on a real deep level and not fear some type of punishment that might come from that kids who don't feel or trust that they can kind of tell everything, the good and the bad, They always kind of feel this sense of disconnection with their parents. And it's really important to get to this level, this stage of attachment to kind of get that ability for children to feel completely known inside and out by their parents. This also, this deepest level is what provides the ability for children to hold on to your attachment, even through periods of separation so that they don't come into those sixth year of life Feelings insecurely attached where they get really a lot of anxiety around separation from their parents. So it is our responsibility, these six stages of attachment, all the different ways in which I've explored this deep connection. It's our responsibility as parents to take the lead in the attachment relationship with our children. Children should not be responsible for staying attached. In seeking out this deep connection with our parents. Frankly, they should be able to take it for granted. We don't ever want children to be in a position where they feel like they have to work for their attachment needs to be met by their parents. I'm going to go into some examples of ways in which you can strengthen and deepen and build this deep attachment in a minute. But first, I want to talk about challenges In young childhood, in early childhood, that can sometimes get in the way and affect a secure attachment. It's good to know about these kind of roadblocks that might be there for you and your child. Be feeling like, yeah, we're, we're not really deeply attached. I'm recognizing as much as there's so much love for me and my child, and I know they know I love them, this attachment thing doesn't seem to be working for us. It could be that your child is still young, still two or three or four years of age, and we wouldn't expect them to be completely, fully deeply attached yet because they've not developed to that age and stage. You're still working at building this deep attachment. Or it may be that your child is six, seven, eight years of age and they seem to have kind of stalled out. They kind of only connect on that more base proximity level, just always needing to have that physical contact and always seeking it. But the other stuff doesn't seem to be really working for you. But there may be other challenges getting in the way. Most children come into this world ready to connect with their caregivers. They're primed for it. It's instinctive. But again, some of these problems, such as children who are born with compromised nervous systems, or maybe have neurological differences, that can get in the way of developing a strong and secure attachment. Some children are highly sensitive, and it takes longer for those attachments to develop And they're prone to lots of defenses that can kind of get away, get in the way of a deep attachment, or they can kind of fall out of a sense of attachment very easily because of their high, high sensitivity. Children who have a lot of health problems or reoccurring health problems, that causes a lot of trauma for them that might also build a lot of defenses that get in the way of strong attachments. Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. Children who were separated from their primary caretakers for long periods of time earlier in their childhood, that might also get in the way of building a strong attachment initially once they uh, rejoin their caregivers or if their primary caregivers have changed. Also, children who have experienced a series of caregivers, there's not a lot of consistency in their caregivers in the early years. Lots of kind of different people are taking care of them. There aren't key primary attachments who are the main people in their lives. So if we feel like that is your child and you worry that maybe your child's not developing a secure attachment for any of those reasons... The sooner you identify them, the easier it is to correct them. And you should talk to your pediatrician. You should seek the help and support of an infant or an early child mental health specialist or someone who's trained in early intervention to address these areas so that you could be working on incorporating what you're learning about attachment into your parenting. There can also be challenges in parents that can affect the way that a secure attachment can develop. These could be things like parents who didn't experience a secure attachment or bond for themselves when they were children. So it's kind of hard for them to emotionally connect with their children because they didn't have that modeled for them. And these challenges can get in the way of your ability to bond with your baby or young child. Other things, if you went through a traumatic birth experience or you're experiencing postpartum depression, that can get in the way of building a secure attachment and bond with your young child or infant. Anxiety, depression, other mental health problems, drug or alcohol problems, high levels of stress from things like financial problems or lack of support or relationship challenges or being overworked and spread too thin. Also, an abusive or neglectful or chaotic childhood, living in an unsafe environment where you're fearing for your own safety in terms of being in an abusive environment. And like I said, any type of negative associations that you have from your own early childhood experiences. So again, if this is you, It's going to be really hard for you to be able to set up and focus on building a strong, secure, deep connection with your child. So you need to take care of this. Self-care first. You know the cliche, put the oxygen masks on the adult first. This is you. If you're running on fumes, if you feel like you don't have anything left to give your children or your relationships, you need to come to terms with your own attachment wounds from your own childhood. You need to seek therapy. You need to heal these places where you didn't feel safe and secure and seen and soothed. You need to take care of yourself so that you can focus on building a secure attachment in your own childhoods. So here are the ideas I have. Here's are my tips and jumping off points in terms of building and developing and strengthening the attachment with your children in your own homes. These are my big takeaways. Please understand that this is just a jumping off point. These are suggestions for you. There are countless ways that you could consider deepening and strengthening your parent-child deep connection on every attachment level. Take into consideration which of these feels most intuitive, most instinctive to you. And also keep in mind your child's developmental age and also their temperament. If I make a suggestion and you're like, yeah, that wouldn't go over well, my child would not be into that. Or if you feel like, you know, right now my child, you know, resists physical contact and touch, you know, your child best, you know, kind of where you're starting from. So I'm going to kind of give these ideas based on those six stages that I just went through, the six stages of attachment, according to Dr. Gordon Neufeld, and kind of break down my suggestions at each level. So the first stage, that proximity, that sensory level. If you have a young child, think about your feeding relationship either nursing or bottle feeding, do so with eye contact and holding. I know a lot of us kind of get into this routine and we sometimes, you know, if your child is bottle fed, you kind of prop them up on a pillow and they can hold their own bottle. Or, you know, we get into kind of the habit of watching TV or staring at our phones while we're nursing. You know, sometimes that's okay, but make sure that sometimes you actually are making eye contact. You're holding your child. You're using that time to bond and connect at this proximity level, the sensory level. Of course, for any age child, Hugs, kisses, cuddling, holding hands, giving a back massage, sitting close to each other while reading a book or enjoying maybe a movie together on the couch. Also, food. Remember, this is sensory level, so it's all the senses. The way in which you're providing food and snacks, provide those before your child even knows that they're hungry. That's very, very deeply connected. When you could say, Oh, I bet you're hungry right now. And the child's like, Yeah, I, I am hungry. And that kind of reinforces this attachment. Again, on the sensory level, singing to your child or singing with your child, dancing, all these things are ideas to connect on this first level of attachment. The second stage, sameness. Actively seek out common interests with your child and draw attention to them, point them out. We both love the same sports team. We're rooting for them. Oh gosh, I love that singer, that musician also. We can both kind of follow them and draw attention to the fact that this is an area that we're the same. Play cooperative games. Um, when your child is very young, it might be hard to play win-lose games, especially with your parent. So there's tons of cooperative games that you can play where you're on the same side and you're both trying to beat the clock or beat a, you know, imaginary ogre or something in a game. So play cooperative games together where you can be on the same team. The next level, that belonging and loyalty level. Continue to provide gentle yet firm discipline. Again, I'm going to go into that in much more detail in my next episode, but this is part of a child knowing that you're helping, you're on the same side. Resist the temptation to negotiate everything with your child. That kind of makes them feel like you're on the other side. And the goal here is to make you feel like you're on the same side, you're aligned, you're on the same team here. Other ideas in terms of kind of reinforcing that belonging, that sense of belonging, refer to your child as my child, my boy my girl, you're my girl, you're mine, that kind of possessive quality. So your child just feels really connected, like they belong to you. The next step, significance. Support your child in their dreams, their interests, their passions. Recognize those, not your interests, your passions, your desires for your child. Yes, it's great to expose your children to lots of things, but when you're really trying to connect at a deep level, you really want to listen to your child and their interests and follow them, expose them to things that listen and honor when they're saying, that's not for me. I can go deeper into that at a, a future time in terms of what do you do when your child's like, yeah, I tried that. I want to quit. Yeah, I tried that. I want to quit. You know, there is a degree in which you want to kind of teach follow through, but as your child's expressing interests, it's really important that you say, I see you. I recognize this is so important to you. I'm going to support you into that. Another really, really important part of the significant piece is reinforcing that your child is loved unconditionally for who they are and also regardless of their behaviors. When you kind of give off this message that your child is loved and accepted and welcome in your presence when they behave this way, but when they kind of have those tantrums, those hard moments, when they're melting down, when we kind of say, yeah, you're not not allowed to be around me in these moments, we're not sending a message of unconditional love and acceptance important that our children know this. That they know that I love you when you're having a good time. I love you when you're having a hard time, no matter what. Um, Newfeld uses this language that your child know that they have an, an invitation to be in your presence, and that you should be indicating this through your eyes, through your voice, through your warmth. When your child is really hungry for your attention, can you find it within yourself to turn to them and express to them, "Oh my gosh." yes, I want to hear what you have to say. I want to see what you're going to show me today. Do we show our child at the end of the day, reuniting them when we're picking up from school or from daycare or coming home at the end of a long day? Are we showing them how delighted we are to be in their presence, how they are so important to them, to us? That's not to say that sometimes you can't You know, finish what you're working on. You've got to get an email out. You're in the middle of cooking dinner. But how do you express to your child that, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to see what you have to show me, what you have to tell me. I'm going to finish this thing because, oh my gosh, you're my priority. Let me just finish boiling the pasta. And then I cannot wait to hear what you have to tell me. How can you express that they are the priority? They are significant. The next stage, that love, that emotional level of connection, obviously tell your child a as much as you can that they are loved through your words and reinforce that through your actions. When you do anything, when you make a misstep, when you've done anything to kind of break down your connection with your child, do anything to kind of damage that attachment, that connection, you lose your temper, you threaten, you lo- you yell, you do anything you think is kind of mm, not expressed your love for your child, take the steps to apologize and reconnect and assure your child that they are loved and that you did not mean to treat them in an unloving way. Also, and this is probably my favorite, create routines and rituals that promote connection and love to flow between you. Rituals are intentional practices that exist exclusively for the purpose of connecting. So if you don't have kind of love, I love you rituals already in your repertoire, develop some, these are kind of a, a great way to kind of reconnect with your child in a loving manner. There's a book called The Kissing Hand, which is one of my favorites, particularly with young children. And um, I definitely encourage you to read it and to maybe adopt this kissing hand ritual. It's a story about a raccoon who is uh, scared to go to school, and the mama raccoon kind of connects with the the child raccoon and says, you know, I'm gonna kiss your hand and you could put this hand close to your face anytime you miss me and know that I love you and I'm with you even when we're apart. It's a beautiful book. I really encourage you reading with your child and perhaps this could be a ritual that you incorporate into your your, um, family. Um, I have this little ritual I do with my children where I hold hands with them. This is actually a ritual, I love this, that I picked up from my mom And it's something my mom used to do with her mom. So this is a loving, connecting ritual that's been passed down through generations. And I've passed it down to my own children. And we hold hands and without saying words, we kind of squeeze out a pattern. And the pattern stands for this little past back and forth connection. The pattern is, I love you. Do you love me? And so you make a squeeze kind of that fits into that pattern. So it's kind of I get to squeeze, love gets a squeeze, you get to squeeze, and so on. So you follow the pattern, I love you, do you love me? And then the other person squeezes back, yes, I do. And then the first person squeezes, how much? And then the other person squeezes the hand as hard as they possibly can. So again, initially, if you're going to teach or incorporate this little I love you ritual into your family, initially, obviously, do it with words. So you squeeze for every word you say as you're passing back and forth this little kind of pattern, but eventually take out the words and just do the squeezing between your hands. So there's times i will all be walking along holding one of my children's hands and I'll squeeze out the pattern for I love you. Do you love me? And my child looks at me with a big smile and wide eyes and squeezes back. Yes, I do. And then I squeeze back how much, and then they, have a blast trying to squeeze my hand until I'm going, ow, ow, that's so much. You made my hand hurt. And it's very playful and very loving. That's another example of a ritual. You may have your own thing, maybe a special thing you say right before you say goodbye in the morning before going to school, or maybe the last couple of words you say right before going to bed. Those are connection. Those are attachment. Those are things that are really connecting on that love level. And then again, this sixth level, the level of being known, this one is also such a great thing to think through. When you have a child that is able to kind of be connecting at this deeper level, your five, your six-year-old child, or if you're not quite at that stage yet, when you reach this stage and your child is starting to kind of divulge their secrets to you, you need to reassure them that gosh, I'm so glad you told me. That must've been really, really hard to carry around that secret or carry on that lie. I'm gonna help you figure this out. I'm gonna help you make this right. I'm gonna help you turn this around versus I can't believe you did that. I'm so mad at you. I'm judging you. I'm gonna shame you. And now I'm gonna issue a punishment. No, that is not gonna help your child feel safely, securely attached at this being known level. Instead, I'm so glad you told me. That must have been really, really hard for you to carry that around. Let's make a plan together. Let's see if we could help you figure out a way to make this right. I remember when my uh, third-born child got to the stage, when I knew what I was really, really doing and looking for. And she was at about that age. She was about age five. So her sixth year of life, around age five, she had stolen something from her preschool. I think she was having a really hard time with the idea of leaving her initial preschool. And she had taken these little puppy dog, little tiny little toys and put them in her backpack. And all summer long after she had done this, she kept on referring to something that really upset her, that she was so mad at herself. And I couldn't get the bottom of it. It was frankly really disturbing. I was like, what is going on? Something's really tearing up her side and I don't know what it is. And I couldn't just like ask her to tell me because I wasn't even fully aware that this was going on for her. But then one day she said, I'm ready to tell you. And this had been months that she'd been struggling with something. And she told me that she'd stolen these dolls and she had big tears about it. And she cried and she was so sad and upset with herself that she'd done this. And I was so excited and happy inside. Of course, I wasn't like, yay, yay. You're connecting at this deep being known level. No, I wasn't doing that. But inside I was. And to her, I said, oh my gosh, it must've felt so good to tell me I'm gonna help you make this right. I'm gonna help you fix this. It's okay. You made a mistake. People make mistakes. It doesn't mean you're a bad kid. You just made a choice that was not good at the time. But you knew that inside. You don't mean to steal things or take things that don't belong to you. You know that's not the right thing to do. Let's make a plan. Let's figure out how we can make this right. And just to finish up the story, we decided to put all of those rubber dogs that she had stolen into a package. And then I helped her. She she um Uh, kind of dictated letter to write to her preschool teacher kind of saying, I did this thing. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to steal that and I wanted to return them to you. And so then I was able to deliver that to the teacher. And of course the teacher and I were both just so touched by the process that she'd gone through to kind of admit her wrongdoing. And the teacher who is like one of the best teachers I've ever experienced in my life, just immediately wrote a letter back and said it basically echoed what I had said about, I'm so glad you told me this doesn't mean that you're a bad child. It just means that you did this thing and you knew to turn it around and to tell us, and I'm so glad you did. And it just shows us that you're growing up into such a, strong child. And I was able to get that letter back to my daughter. And it meant so much to her to kind of hear also from the teacher that they were okay. Their relationship was fine, that nothing had come between them and their attachment because they were deeply attached. Also, she spent a couple of years at this preschool and it really mattered to her what her teacher thought. Another idea at this deeper being known level, you know, yes, you want your child to tell you things ideally, you know, to your face, but that can be hard. Sometimes that can feel a little bit overwhelming to a child to kind of admit something. So when you're driving in a car, that's sometimes when things will come up when a child is in the back seat and you don't have to have eye contact. Sometimes things will come up then. Another idea is to incorporate journal writing back and forth between you and your child. I did this with my firstborn child when I felt like she was a little shut down. I wasn't hearing a lot of what was going inside her world. This was early in my work after I had kind of shifted the way I was parenting my children. And I was trying to kind of get to this deeply connected level. So I introduced a journal between the two of us that we wrote back and forth with each other. And things came out in that journal that probably would not have come out if we had just been talking, at least at that stage. And so she would ask me questions or she would tell me things or admit things to me in my journal. And sometimes I would reconnect with her. And we'd kind of talk about them in person following. Usually we would do that. But sometimes I would just write back to her and have responses for her. And we had this little, again, a ritual where we would leave this little journal on top of the pillow, whichever one of us had written last, would discover it and read. And then write back to the person. It was this kind of area where we could kind of communicate at this deeper, being known level in a different way than just talking face-to-face. That was really, really um, powerful. We did that for maybe a couple of years and it kind of fell off and we are able to have deeply connected conversations now, but it's a great idea and something to think about when you are connecting at that level with your child. So as I said, you need to, as a parent, be really mindful of this attachment and know that this is kind of the most important thing that you should be focusing on with your child and trying to deepen and connect with your child. Because as we're going to talk about a lot at the next episode, this is going to be the key to getting your child to cooperate. This is going to be the key to how you think about discipline. If you have a deeply attached or connected child, they are instinctively going to want to follow you. They're going to want to listen to you. They're going to want to follow your suggestions and your directions. If they don't, it's kind of a wake up call. And it might be just for that moment, your child was distracted, they were involved in something else, and your connection wasn't really working at that moment. So then you know, okay, work on this relationship, work on things at this attachment level. And then my child is going to again, have this instinct to want to follow and listen to my directions. But here's my kind of like, parting gift to you. This feels like a tremendous amount of pressure and I understand it is. And you feel like, oh my gosh, this is a full-time job. I can't work anymore. I need to spend 24 hours a day working my attachment with my child. I can't have anything else in my life other than working on my child. If you're kind of that overachiever and this is you, here's my little parting gift to you. And this is coming from the Gottman Institute, which has done Tons of study on relationships, you know, every type of relationship, parent child, romantic relationships between couples. And here is what they have determined they have determined that for a child to feel securely attached, you need to respond to their bids for connection at least a third of the time. So three, 33% of the time to feel a secure attachment. Well, that's the minimum. And I would love to encourage you to shoot for above. The minimum level, so maybe shoot for a solid fifty percent or you know a good solid b plus and eighty five percent, but if you're responding to your child's bids for connection, when you kind of sense that they're kind of asking for this attachment again, remember, we don't want your child to feel like they have to work for it, so that's communication, okay, I've got to work at this, I need to be able to connect with my child before they feel kind of like a lack of connection or a lack of attachment, but keep in mind that it doesn't have to be constant all the time thirty three percent minimum. Thank you. Gottman Institute for helping me at least feel like, okay, the pressure is down a little bit. Here's the other little interesting tidbit. They also found that in terms of our romantic relationships, we should be responding to our spouse or, pont- or partner's bids for connection approximately 89% of the time. Usually we have it flip-flopped. Usually we're responding constantly to our child's bids for connection and our romantic relationships are like, yeah, whatever, you're a grown person. you don't You don't need as much time or attention. Also keep in mind that kids have a lot of needs and need to have a lot of connection time versus hopefully your spouse or partner is not super needy and constantly needing non-stop attention. So if you keep in mind the number of opportunities you have for connection with your child, it's probably a lot higher than the number of opportunities you have to connect with your partner. So on the next episode, we're going to be exploring, like I said, the wonderful world of discipline The first D, dignity, we're going to be exploring dignity and discipline, discipline with dignity and discipline that protects and keeps this deep connection, this deep attachment in place with your child. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast or if you'd like one-on-one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media. So take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at the 3D parent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on the 3D parent podcast.